Good morning, friends. Today's uh, message is going to be delivered in a slightly different fashion. Normally it's down in what I call my man cave in my office, but uh, a little different today because my wife is back <clears throat> home after her fall and her rehab. She's been gone about two weeks. I'm glad to have her back. And so this morning, uh, she's pointing at something. What am I supposed to Oh, she's got a broken pelvis, and, but she's doing well. And so this will also be one of the smallest congregations I've preached to in a long time, an audience of one. So if you hear any <clears throat> uh, cheering or booing or <clears throat> remarks from somewhere, you'll know where it comes from, the other end of the table. Uh, but I want, I want you to start out by just having you imagine that you run into a friend one day, and he says, hey, by the way, we're having a party, especially for you. It'll be a great celebration for the many good things you've done and the many great accomplishments. I just hope you'll be there. Well, you know, there's nothing like a party, at least for some people, especially when you're the guest of honor. So you arrive at the appointed place in the hour. You step in the door, and sure enough, a crowd's begin to gather. There are balloons and streamers and party favors and even a cake. You try to mingle, but nobody seems to know you're there. There are a few friends standing off to one side, but as you approach them, you realize they're arguing with one another about nothing important, but they're surely not interested in talking to you. As you approach another group, you hear them saying, this party isn't as good as some of the other parties I've been to. I'm not enjoying myself at all. Behind them is yet another group. They're not saying anything. They're just staring at their cell phones. Then you overhear a conversation behind you. A man says, you know, I didn't really want to be here today, but the wife dragged me because there's cake for the kids, and I hope I at least get credit for showing up. That's some party, isn't it? Finally, you find the host and you say to him, thanks for putting together this little get-together, my honor. If you don't mind, I'd like to say a few words to the group. The host kind of hedges and says, well, um, I don't think we can do that. But while I got you here, here's a list of some things we need. If you don't mind, could you do this for us? Tom over there needs a job. Jim needs help paying his mortgage. Sarah wants a husband. Phyllis wants a promotion. And Tyler here needs an A on an exam tonight, especially since he came to your party rather than staying home to study. Suddenly you realize what this so-called celebration is really all about. This party isn't for you, and you're not the guest of honor. You're just here to pass out favors. Now, I really can't imagine a party like that taking place, but I wonder if this is what happens sometimes on Sunday mornings or even throughout the week with our morning devotions. We throw a party, so to speak, we plan a celebration, we go through some of the motions, but we fail to truly give honor to the guest of honor. And sometimes if we're not careful, Sunday morning or morning devotions can become exclusively about the event. You know, did we dot all the I's and cross all the T's? Did we have a good production? Um, Or can it be just about fulfilling an obligation, getting it over with? Or can it be about nothing more than what did I get out of it? Was it sufficiently entertaining to me? Now, in my case, I have to admit that there have been times when I've been guilty of all of the above. I imagine that anyone who's been a believer for any length of time could say the same. There are times when worship becomes about something other than worship. And when this happens, there are steps we can take to get back on track. More importantly, there are steps we can take to ensure we never get off track in the first place. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. For the last few weeks, um, I've been sharing stuff from a series in worship. And the purpose here is to challenge us all to cultivate a lifestyle of worship every day. We want to learn to make worship more than just a priority. We want to make it a top priority, the ultimate priority. 
I said in the, in the first message that one of the objectives of this series of messages is that each one of us can get more out of worship. And for that to happen, getting more out of worship, we need to redefine the whole concept of what getting more means. And with that being said, I want us to consider five essential elements of the worship experience. I'm talking about worship in church and home during the week. And there are five things that need to happen every week and every day in order for worship to take place. Now, the text I've chosen for today is from 1 Corinthians <coughs> chapter, uh, 1 Chronicles 16. This passage describes the celebration that King David organized for all the people of Israel. The purpose of the celebration was that the Ark of the Covenant, you may remember that, you know, from Raiders of the Lost Ark, that the Ark was being brought to Jerusalem to be placed in a special tent that David had prepared for it. Some years before, the Ark had been looted by the Philistines during wartime, and then several months later it was returned to Israel, where it was kept safe for the next 20 years, in a city about 10 miles north of Jerusalem. And now is the time that David had decided, Jerusalem is the capital city, so let's bring the Ark to Jerusalem, and let's make it a huge celebration. As we look at the details of this service, I want to draw your attention to five essential elements of worship. These five things, I think, will help you get more out of worship because they'll help you stay focused on what worship really is. And most importantly, they'll help you discover what getting more really means. The first essential element is that worship requires a time of preparation and planning. This celebration service wasn't spur of the moment. David spent some time planning the details of this day of worship. This was not just a little neighborhood block party. It was a massive celebration in involving thousands and thousands, all the people of Israel were invited. And before the event, David built a tent to house the ark. He prepared food for everyone to eat. He appointed a group of singers and musicians to lead him in all worship music. In verses 4 and 7 says he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Then on that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. There was a great deal of planning and preparation that went into this day of worship, and I'd imagine that it comes as no surprise to anyone that there's always a great deal of planning and preparation behind each of our worship services as well. I mean, I know from years of experience that bulletins don't print themselves, the PowerPoint doesn't magically appear, the musicians don't just happen to know all the songs. I just don't make up the sermon as I go along. It's prepared, you know, weeks and months in advance, and People don't just randomly decide at the last minute to be an usher or work in the nursery. I mean, these things are prepared and prepared as they should be. And they should all be done with a spirit of excellence because God is worthy of our best effort in every detail. And just as I encourage those in leadership to plan and prepare their part of the worship service, I say the same to those sitting in the pew. And I say the same to those who are serious about developing a daily worship-centered lifestyle throughout the week. And it's this, good worship involves preparation and planning. We talked about this in week one. I referred to it as the pregame. You know, before you worship, you prepare your heart with an attitude of surrender. And today I want to speak one more moment about this. I'd encourage you to make your Sunday morning before worship routine all about preparing to worship. From the time you wake up until the time you arrive and we st they strike the first chord of the opening song, make your morning all about preparing. As you're moving about the house to get ready, instead of turning on the TV for background noise, why not listen to worship music, or even silence? Set aside your cell phone, stay off social media until lunchtime, and take a moment to, to pray a prayer of preparation. 
Make your Sunday morning all about the fact that today you have an appointment to worship God in the presence of his people. The same with your morning devotions or study time. From the time you wake up until the time you begin as you drink your coffee or wash your face or do what you do to become more coherent, direct your thoughts toward an attitude of worship. Use this preparation time to ask yourself, is there a sin I need to deal with? Is there an attitude I need to change? Am I ready to enter God's presence? Now, for example, usually every night before I go to bed, I open my Bible for the next day's reading and bookmark my devotional readings on my Kindle so that I know where they are. And if I plan to listen to music during morning worship, I often choose it the night before. Now, these are kind of small steps, but I do them, but I want to make sure that each morning when I log on, I'm prepared in every way to begin my time alone with God. I know my wife has a special place sitting here in the dining room where she likes to do her Bible study in the morning. She has it laid out there for herself. I'm encouraging you to do the same. Before you show up, uh, do what you can to plan and prepare for worship spiritually, emotionally, even logistically. That's because God is worthy of our best effort, even in the way we prepare. Now, here's the second essential. Worship requires an attitude of praise and thanksgiving. David said, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You can see the same pattern in today's text, verses 8 and 9. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, sing to him, sing praises to him. So that's really where worship begins, thanksgiving and praise. Now, if you begin with thanksgiving, it's my guess that something happened in your life as recently as yesterday that reflects God's ongoing work in your life. When my wife had her first shower this morning, I'm sure she's very thankful for that. At home. Yeah, they showered her pretty good when she was in rehab. But give him thanks and thank him for every good work in your life, every good thing in your life. More importantly, don't just breeze through this part. Then you give thanks to God. Stay in there just a moment. Think about it and let your gratitude <clears throat> sink in. It's the same thing when you're speaking or singing words of praise. Praising God is simple as saying, God, I praise you. I praise you for who you are, your goodness, your mercy, your kindness, your love. I praise you for all you've done in my life and the lives of so many others. You can speak these words, sing along with worship music, or you can even have morning worship without music, which is what I do about half the time. The most important thing is that you begin your time of worship at home and at church with a moment of thanksgiving and praise, sincere, intentional, and from the heart. And when you don't feel thankful and all praisey inside, what do you do? Well, like I said last week, you worship anyway. You overcome a negative attitude with a positive action, and in so doing, you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, I'm going to move to the third essential, and all five of these are essential, but this one is essential in all caps. Neglecting this one area is why we often find ourselves getting less out of worship instead of getting more, and here it is. Worship requires giving God your undivided attention. The verses that record the song that the singers sang at the celebration service talk about how we need to focus our thoughts and words and actions on the goodness and greatness and splendor of God. It comes down to one key verse, verse 11, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. Other translations say seek His face always because seeking God doesn't mean that you're looking for Him. It means that you're looking to Him. It means you're giving Him your undivided attention. It's much like the song we sang back in the 1970s. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Now many times when we come to worship at church and at home during the week, we come carrying a ton of baggage with us, and that's kind of understandable. 
because life brings with it a lot of clutter and there are distractions all around us. The challenge then for those who want to live a worship-centered life is to learn to look away from all what's going around you and look only to God and think only about God and focus only on God. See, that's what worship is. It's seeing God for who he is, his glory, his majesty, his splendor. <clears throat> if you come to church or have your morning devotion at home or you're all, and all you're thinking about is this problem or that problem or what your boss did or what a mess the world is in, if these things consume your thoughts, you will never enter into the experience of worship. So seek God, seek his face, give him your undivided attention. There will be time later for you to unpack your baggage, so to speak. You can deal with that then. But for now, give him undivided attention. This is such an important aspect of worship that I want to cover it in more detail. And Next week, we're going to be talking about giving God undivided attention. For now, let's move on to the next essential, which is this. Worship requires an offering. Uh, I told you I was going to take an offering today. But when I told her that, she asked if she could designate the ministry. So I said, yeah, that would be sure. That would be fine. Well, a few, few weeks ago, we talked about preparing to worship God with an attitude of sacrifice. That's because giving is an essential part of worship. Therefore, David said in verse 29, bring him an offering and come before him. And that's really great because giving to God is a part of worshiping him. You know, they pass the plates or the baskets or the buckets or whatever they do in your church or in our church. It's, it's more about, it's, it's about more than just collecting money to pay the bills. <clears throat> the real purpose of the offering is to allow God's people the opportunity to worship him by giving back to him. And here's an important distinction. Your tithe is not the payment of a debt to God. It's the acknowledgement of a debt. What we owe God, we could never pay back with our money or even our lives. It's a debt far too great for anyone to pay. But we can acknowledge the debt by giving back to him a small token of all that he has given us. For this reason, we need to give God more than just money, and we need to do it more often than just on a Sunday or a Saturday night. We need to give back to God in every area of our lives every day. So here's my challenge to you. When you come to worship God, come with a gift. Come with an offering, however small it may be. You will never be able to pay back the debt you owe, but you can acknowledge that debt every day of your life. This brings us to the fifth and final essential element. Worship requires that we trust him <clears throat> with the details of our lives. At the very end of this song of praise, David said in verse 35, Say also, save us, O God, of our salvation, and gather and deliver us from the among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. As I mentioned earlier, there comes a time when we lay all our burdens at the feet of Jesus, and here it is. It's at the end of the psalm, not at the beginning. I want to make it clear that you can pour out your heart to God, and you can tell him all about your troubles. I mean, he wants and expects you to do that, but that's not where worship begins. <clears throat> do you know why? It's because you and your problems are not the center of the universe. He is the center of the universe. And job one for you and me is to give him his rightful place in our lives and give him the glory and the honor he deserves first. And we, and when we bring to him our cares and concerns, it's always in the context of a heart surrendered to him in praise and adoration. This prevents us from coming to God with a shopping list and helps us focus instead on trusting him with every detail. It also helps to keep the spirit of worship alive all throughout the day because there will be times when you say, God, I don't know why things are happening the way they're happening, but I would trust you because you are God and you are worthy. 
I really had no title for this series in mind when I started, but it seems to me like it could be Make Every Day a Celebration, because every day can and should be a celebration for God's people. For this to happen, we need to remember who the celebration is for. It's not for me or for you or for us. It's for him. The King of kings and Lord of lords. It is for he who came not only to give life, but who came to give meaning to life. Every day you can say, and we use this as our prayer, Today, Lord, there will be a celebration in your honor. I come to this celebration not to get, but to give, to give you the glory and honor that your name deserves, because thou, O Lord, art worthy. You are worthy of my best effort. You are worthy of my praise and gratitude. You are worthy of my undivided attention. You are worthy to receive my offering. You are worthy to be trusted with the details of my life. And so today, Lord, I make this day, this moment, all about you. Until next time, friends, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.